If you brought a Bible this morning, we're going to be looking at the book of Ecclesiastes. If you haven't, uh, the words will appear on the screen too, so you won't be you won't be left out for most of the verses anyway. Thank you, Ken. What a beautiful story of God's redemption. How many of you happen to make it to Fiddler on the Roof? Let me see your hands. Okay, quite a few people. Mazel tov. Uh, to the rest of you, I am so sorry you didn't make it. It was a wonderful production. In fact, was there a production here last night? Last night. So the set was all here last night. Our ramp that I've had so much fun watching Tom navigate it was here. Uh, everything else was here. It made me think there must be like a pile outside those doors of just, you know, set up stuff. When we got done, well, we went on Friday night. When we got done that evening at about 1030, I could see why these students get so drawn to each other and are so excited about theater. Uh, it was a marvelous, marvelous production. In fact, I've been to some professional productions that weren't as good as our production of Fiddler on the Roof. Yeah. Yeah. And there's going to be a hole in these guys' life uh, now that this has ended. But I just want to say a special thank you to uh, Pastor Sarah. Pastor Sarah. Yeah, let's... Pastor Sarah puts her life and her soul into these productions, and it really shows. So I don't think Sarah might not be here today yet anyway. Uh, but uh, it, was, it was a wonderful production. Um, my wife can smell cheese like a mile away, you know? And she really loved the production. Well, I want to talk to you a little bit this morning about uh, how to have a happy life. This is from Solomon. But I want to start with this story. A man walks into a shoe store and asks for a pair of shoes, size 8. The well-trained salesman says, but sir, you take an 11 or even an 11 and a half. Just bring me a size 8, he says. The sales guy brings the shoes to the man and crams his feet, brings the shoes, and the man crams his feet into them and stands up in obvious pain. He turns to the salesman and says this, I've lost my house to the IRS. I live with my mother-in-law. My daughter ran off with my best friend, and my business has filed bankruptcy. The only happiness I have left is to come home at night and take these shoes off. <laughs> now, some of you might think that that's what your life is like. I think we all go through these seasons of time when our lives don't seem to be going the way we'd like them to go. And I think if you've lived for any amount of time, you can say, 
Yes, Greg, I agree. Because there are times when it seems like everything is going wrong. There's problems in our job. There's problems in our family. There's problems in our church. And we can't seem to get away from problems. It seems that our house, whenever anything breaks down, it happens in threes. You know how they say that? It happens in threes. So the the water heater goes down. And then the washing machine breaks. And then the car needs to be taken in for service. But beyond this, there's just at times a sense of loneliness, purposelessness, or even meaninglessness. Of course, we don't notice it much during the daytime hours because we're busy with work and other things like that. But once our souls quiet down and once we're alone at night and maybe right before we go to bed, Or maybe we wake up during the night and we start to ask, is this all God has for me? Is this all there is in life? It makes me think of that great theologian, Mick Jagger. (laughs) Who once said, I can't get no satisfaction. (laughs) Or Bono from U2, who said, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. You know, Solomon had everything he wanted. All his needs were met. And he had everything he wanted. He had family raised in the king's home, the son of David. He was royalty. He had money wealthy beyond belief, the wealthiest man in the then known world. And beyond all these things, as you know, he asked God for wisdom and God gave him wisdom and and now he was the wisest man. His riches are recorded um, in uh, 1 Kings, also in uh, later on in, in other places and a little bit here even in Ecclesiastes. It's also noted that Solomon had Uh, what was it, 700 wives and 300 concubines? I mean, talk about overdoing it a little bit. And these concubines, you have to understand, these these weren't ladies of the street. These were ladies that were brought in and they were groomed for about a year before the, the king would ever see them. And then they would go into the king after about a year. So Solomon had everything in the world. And oh yes, he was absolutely miserable. The book of Ecclesiastes opens up in this way. Meaningless, meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Or your Bible might say, vanity, vanity. All is vanity. Or another Bible might say, emptiness, emptiness. Everything is emptiness. What Solomon is saying is this, that he's had everything. He's tasted the good life, but he's found it lacking. He's found it wanting. And I think in every one of our lives, God has given us all our needs. He's met all our needs. 
All of us have food and covering. When I say covering, I mean clothes and shelter. We have food, clothes, and shelter. I would be very surprised if there was one amongst us that didn't have everything they needed. But here's the blessing of living in America. This is how God has poured out his blessing upon us. We not only have everything we need, but we have many of our wants. For many of us, we have most of our wants. And for some of us, we have all of our wants. But even in that, we still find life to be meaningless apart from God. In the book of Ecclesiastes, it tells us how to have a happy life. Now, I chose that trite title instead of saying, you know, how to have a meaningful life or how to have a purposeful life or anything like that. Because sometimes I think what we're just looking for is to be happy. We're just looking to be happy. But when we find meaning, when we find purpose, we also find happiness. So before we read a scripture, let's go ahead and pray together this morning. Lord, we want to say thank you for the things you're doing in our lives even today. We want to say thank you for your hand upon us and walking with us. We want to say thank you that you never leave us alone, but you go with us wherever we go. In fact, you are pursuing us even this day. Lord, we say thank you for the things that you want to speak to us in these next few moments. Lord, speak into our hearts, change us, make us more like you, we pray, and we ask it all in Jesus' name, amen. Solomon was unhappy for a number of different reasons. It says in the beginning of chapter 2, and I said to myself, come now, I will test you with pleasure, so enjoy yourself, and behold, it too was futility. As I said in the beginning, chapter 1, the same thing. Vanity, vanity, all is vanities. If you go back just a little bit before chapter 2, it says this in 16 of chapter 1. I said to myself, behold, I have magnified and increased wisdom more than all who are over Jerusalem before me. And my mind has observed a wealth of wisdom and knowledge. And I have set my mind to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I realize that this also is striving after the wind because in much wisdom there is much grief. And increasing knowledge results in increasing pain. So the first thing that Solomon experiments with is wisdom. He's actually going to experiment with three things. Wisdom. Wealth and work. But the first thing he looks at is wisdom. Can wisdom satisfy? Now, this might seem strange for the person that oversees Christian Life College to be talking about. But indeed, apart from God, wisdom cannot satisfy. Although the Bible tells us that we should seek wisdom, that we should go after wisdom. In fact, Psalm 2 tells us that it should be searched for like like gold, that we should go after it like silver, that wisdom should be something that's pursued, that that is gotten. Even Solomon, even Solomon in the book of Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes tells us that wisdom is good. He says it's better than folly in 2.13. 
It says, the wise are forthright in 2.14. Wisdom will give success in 10.10. Wisdom will preserve life in 7.12. Wisdom will guide men in 7.19. Wisdom will bring joy in 8.1. But apart from God, wisdom can't be enjoyed. God has to be added to wisdom. In fact, he says here in verse 17... And I set my mind to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I realize that this also is striving after the wind. Because in much wisdom, there is much grief. And increasing knowledge results in increasing pain. What Solomon is saying is this. With wisdom comes pain. You know, it's like Job. Job, part of Job's pain was that he didn't know what was going on in his life. Why am I suffering so? Yes, there was that aspect of the physical suffering, but there was this emotional suffering as well. Why do I have to suffer so, Lord? With wisdom or with knowledge comes much pain. This is also true of wisdom. That as soon as you get a little bit of wisdom, you realize how little you really know. And the more wisdom you get, the more you realize that you don't know. I get the, I get the pleasure of sending in on our Christian life uh, 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 college classes when other instructors are teaching. In fact, most cases I'm sitting in, I'm not teaching. And I sit in on the class and I learn new things every week. And it always strikes me, I'm always surprised at how much I don't know. The more I know, the more I figure out that I, that I don't know. So in wisdom, there is strife as well. Knowledge also makes us mindful of troubles in the world. You know, there was a time shortly after the election when all the news was bad. Everybody had something bad to say about somebody. That I just shut off the news altogether. And frankly, it helped. Now, I know that's kind of like sticking your head in the sand and we shouldn't do that. But, you know, my, my mental, my mental uh, uh, health was at risk. And so I just shut off the TV, shut off the news, stopped listening to it, to it all together. And really, it made things a little bit better. They say ignor- uh, ignorance is bliss. It's true. <laughs> when... Sandy and I were young, very young. We started dating. Some of you have heard my story before. In fact, I asked Sandy to marry me when we were in ninth grade. (laughs) A couple summers ago, we were back to our hometown, and and, uh, we went to the place. And we sat there on the junior high steps, junior high at that time. Sat on the steps and I and I re re proposed re proposed to her, and uh, it was fun. So we got married since we were so madly in love with each other in ninth grade. Uh, we got married when we were well. I was madly in love with her. Uh, we got married when we were eighteen years old. So I always told our kids. You're not getting married until you're at least 25. Because anybody that's been married at 18, you're just asking for trouble. You just know that you're asking for trouble. But going into it, we didn't know. I mean, we're 18 years old. What do we know? But I thought, you know what? 
it'll be fine. It'll be fine. I remember asking Sandy to marry me. I mean, I was in love and, and all of that stuff, but I thought, this is going to be fine. I know it's a commitment for life, but it's going to be fine. Well, those of you that know my story know that it wasn't fine. There was a lot of heartache involved. Many years later, probably about 10 years later, 12 years later, I had some friends that were looking to get married. Uh, These, all three of them were pastors and they were, you know, they were starting to at least at that time, getting on in age. I mean, they were 28 years old, you know. And uh, I think one was 30. And they were wondering, why, why can't I find somebody to marry? And I remember the talks that I'd have with them and how we would, we would talk about uh, this girl and that girl and that sort of thing. And I like her for this reason. I don't like her and this. You know the problem that these guys had? They had too much information. They knew what could go wrong. I mean, they were old enough and knowledgeable enough. And so they knew what could go wrong. And so they were having difficulty pulling the trigger, so to speak. Making the commitment. They were having trouble doing it. So Solomon says, wisdom is great. Go after wisdom. Find wisdom. But not apart from God. Because apart from God, it will be meaningless. It will be meaningless. It will be harsh. And then he goes on and he looks not only at wisdom, but wealth as well. I read it to you a moment ago, the scripture. I said to myself, come now, I will test you with pleasure. So enjoy yourself and behold, it too was futility. And he goes on in that particular passage and he talks about wealth and all that wealth can buy. Pleasure can be an empty road as well. Solomon had incomparable riches, but they could not satisfy him. The Bible tells us this. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves abundance with its income. Someone once said, how much money is enough? And the answer came back, just a little bit more than I have. When I think about Solomon's wisdom and and not being able to be satisfied by riches, I go back to someone who's largely been forgotten in our day. His name's Howard Hughes. Now, Howard Hughes was born in 1905, lived to the year 1976. Now, if I do the math quickly, about 67 years old. Howard Hughes, when he was 45 years old, was at the top of his game. He was worth $2.5 billion, which in those days was an enormous amount of money. He owned hotels. He owned an airline, TWA, if you're interested. He worked on secret CIA projects. He had his hand in in piloting and developing um, uh, test aircraft. I mean, he was just at the top of his game. But 20 years later, Howard Hughes could no longer find, find meaning in his riches. 
In fact, near the end of his life now, just a few short years away, near the end of his life, he lived by himself at the top of one of his, one of his hotels. He slept in a bed completely naked because he was so afraid of getting germs, being contaminated by something next to his skin. His hair had grown long down past his waist. His fingernails were, were uh, two inches long. He didn't want to see anybody. He didn't talk to anybody. He was, he was a recluse. He lived his days with a draped drawn, watching movie after movie after movie, oftentimes a single movie 150 times. When I think of Solomon and the great wealth that he had and the un- un- inability to enjoy it, I think of Howard Hughes because it was the same thing. All that his heart desired, he found in wealth. And yet there was something singular eluding him. And that was purpose, meaning, meaningfulness, and happiness in his life. So he looks at, he looks at uh, um, wisdom. He looks at wealth. And then finally he looks at work. A little bit farther on here in chapter 2 of Ecclesiastes. He says this. For this too is vanity... And a great evil. Uh, 22. For, uh, 22. For what does a man get in all his labor, in his, thriving, in his striving, with which he labors under the sun? Because all his days, his task is painful and grievous. Even at night, his mind does not rest. This, too, is vanity. You see, Solomon searched for happiness in work as well, as so oftentimes so many of us do. But he found that it was grievous, that it was empty, that there was no meaning there. It reminded me of this story that maybe some of you have heard before. It's called The Tale of the Mexican and the Banker. It goes like this. An American investment banker was at the pier of a small coastal Mexican village when a small boat with just one fisherman docked. Inside the small boat were several, several large yellowfin tuna. The American complimented the Mexican on the quality of his fish and asked how long it took him to catch them. The Mexican replied, only a little while. The American then asked, why didn't he stay out longer and catch more fish? The Mexican said he had enough to support his family's immediate needs. And the American asked, but what do you do the rest of your time? The Mexican fisherman said, I sleep late. I fish a little. I play with my children. I take siestas with my wife, Maria. I stroll into the village each night and sip wine and play guitar with my amigos. I have a full and busy life. The American scoffed. I am a Harvard MBA and I could help you. You should spend more time fishing and with the proceeds buy a bigger boat. 
with the proceeds from a bigger boat, you could buy several boats. Eventually, you would have a fleet of fishing boats. Instead of selling your catch to a middleman, you could sell directly to the processor, eventually opening your own cannery. You would control the product, the processing, the distribution. You would need to leave this small coastal fishing village and move to Mexico City, then L.A., and eventually New York, where you will run your own expanding enterprise. The Mexican fisherman asked, but how long will all this take? To which the American replied, 15 to 20 years. But what then, asked the Mexican? The American laughed and said, that's the best part. When the time is right, you would announce an IPO and sell your company's stock to the public and become very rich. You will make millions. Millions? Then what? The American said, then you could retire. Move to a small coastal fishing village where you would sleep late, fish a little, play with your kids, take siestas with your wife, stroll into the village in the evening where you could sip wine and play guitar with your amigos. That is the meaninglessness of work, if you will. Solomon says this, Thus I considered all my activities which my hand had done, and the labor which I had exerted, and behold, all was vanity and striving after the wind, and there was no profit under the sun. Solomon actually looks at a number of things in this meaningless life that he has found. But in chapter 2, he looks at wisdom. And although the wisest man in the then known world, he says, it's not found there. Meaning and purpose is not found there. And so he next goes to wealth and the things that it can buy. And he experiments, it says, with wealth. Maybe my wealth could buy pleasure and meaning and purpose in life. But it turns out that wealth can't do it either. You see, wealth and the pleasures that come from wealth only last during the time of that pleasure. And then it's gone. And yes, you can have fun and and all sorts of things with wealth, but it only lasts for that time. And once that money is spent, so is the enjoyment of that thing. So wealth was meaningless. And then finally, here in chapter 2, he looks at work. Maybe in work, maybe in in putting my hand to, to, to something to do. To Solomon built new buildings. In fact, he built the temple. He had all kinds of construction um, projects that he worked on, and yet he could not find any meaning there. Isn't that like our lives at times? Isn't that like our lives at times that we look for happiness in all the wrong places? That there's that God-shaped hole within us, just longing to be filled with God, and we're looking in all the wrong places to fill that particular hole. You know, it makes me think of my kids when they were young. I don't know how many of you guys uh, hated the drive-up window at McDonald's when, you're, when your family was young and you had a car full of, of kids. Am I the only one? 
I hated being in the driver's seat next to, the, next to where you did the ordering. Because all our kids wanted something different. And Sandy's in the, in the passenger side, my wife Sandy, and she's asking the kids, what do you want? What do you want? What do you want? And guys, I tell you what, every stinking hamburger had to be different. You know, well, I want the Happy Meal with this on my hamburger, and I want this Happy Meal and that, you know. When I took the kids to the drive-thru, uh, when Sandy wasn't with me, I just ordered all hamburgers. Give me, give me, you know, four cheeseburgers and fries and a soda, and that was it. Yeah, I know, I was a terrible dad. <laughs> you know, these Happy Meal things... They promise happiness, but they don't deliver. (laughs) Now, back in those days, the prize that you got inside was fairly significant. Now, I don't know if it still is, but back in those days, I mean, this, this this was a toy. It was hard. I mean, it could actually last a long time. I think, I think today they give away like dinosaur stickers or something. I'm not sure. But back in the day, I mean, this was a real toy. And our kids had to have McDonald's Happy Meals. Because if they didn't have McDonald's Happy Meals, they weren't happy. And so we would get them Happy Meals. In fact, one time I thought, you know what? How about this, kids? How about we just get a regular hamburger, fries, and a drink? And I go buy you a little something somewhere else. I mean, the complaints that went up. I mean, you would think that I had taken their livelihood away from them. You know, our Constitution tells us that we have the right to pursue happiness. And yet, oftentimes, when we're pursuing happiness, we're missing what God really has for us. This is what God says. In Matthew chapter 6, familiar words, I'm sure, to many of you. He says this. He says, seek first the kingdom of heaven and its righteousness. And all these other things, all these other things that you long for, those things will be added onto you. Seek first the kingdom of heaven. And all these other things will be added onto you. You know what oftentimes happens? This is what oftentimes happens. Is that we seek the other things, and then we expect God to add himself onto all that. You know what happens usually in that case? If we seek the things of the world first, we end up losing the things of the world, and oftentimes our relationship with the Lord. But if we'll seek the Lord first, go after him, we'll not only gain him, but we'll gain everything else that he mentions there in chapter 6. You see, the Bible tells us this, is that God has given us all these things for our pleasure. He's given us all these things for our good. God is not the sort of God that just is, he's just a stingy God. He just wants you to, to live in poverty all your life. That's not the Lord we serve. The Lord we serve wants to give good gifts to his children, and indeed he will. But this is the first, this is the first thing, that we must put him first. He must be first. 
So as Solomon is looking for meaning in his life, he finally considers this, realizing that happiness and meaning first is a gift from God. It says here in, again, chapter 2, these words. There's nothing better for man than to eat and drink and tell himself that his labor is good. This also I have seen that is from the hand of God. For who can eat and who can have enjoyment without him? Solomon gets it in a flash of brilliancy. He realizes that this is good. This is good for man to enjoy the things God has given him. This is a good thing. But he realizes that it's all based on God giving the pleasure in those things. It's all based on God giving us those things that he wants us to have. In fact, it says in other places this. 519 in Ecclesiastes reminds us that reminds us to be to be happy in our work is a gift from God. And Paul wrote that he richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. God's desire is to bless his people. God's desire is that we seek him first. We can only find happiness when we put God first in all things. Ecclesiastes 12, 13, at the end of the book, Solomon says this. The conclusion when all has been heard is, fear God and keep his commandments. Because this applies to every person. Fear God and obey his commandments. This is what I'm asking you to do. If you're looking for meaning, if you're looking for purpose, this is where it begins. Fear God and keep his commandments. Now, sometimes this phrase, fear God, is hard to understand because it's not a servile fear in the, in the, Probably the, the shortest description is just an awe or reverence for God. But basically what it means is that we treat God as God. That we fear him, that he is the Lord. He is the Lord of the universe. He is the sovereign king over all. And so we fear him and we do that which he wants us to do and obey his commandments. So Solomon says this. In a number of places, God is so worked that men should fear him. This is 314 of Ecclesiastes. He says simply in 5.7, fear God. In another place, 7.18, the man who fears God will avoid these extremes. In uh, another place, I know that it will be well for those who fear God. This is the primary purpose that we follow after him. We treat him as he is. Thus, Ecclesiastes avoids these extremes. He avoids the extremes of, of giving in to everything God has given us. And he avoids this extreme of asceticism, of just being in poverty and, and uh, living our whole life in a, in a monastery somewhere. He says there are both here. God does want to bless us with the good things in life. But that should be under his leadership. 
The Bible says, as I said in Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added on to you. If you're here this morning and somehow that has gotten out of place, Somehow the enjoyment that, that you get from so many of the things that God has given us has really taken first place. Somehow you're enjoying more of what God has done than who he is. The Bible says this in the book of Revelation where, where Jesus is speaking to the church of Ephesus. He says simply this. He says, you've lost your, your first love. Now, this isn't, this isn't in a chronological order. This is in order of importance. You've lost your best love. You've lost the best thing. You've lost your first love. And then he says these things to get that first love back. He says, first of all, remember from where you have fallen. Remember from where you've fallen. Remember what it used to be like. Remember what it was like when you first came to him. Remember when your soul burned. Remember when he was so close and so near. Jesus' remarks are thus. Remember from where you've fallen. Think back to those days when you were near and you were close. He goes on and says this. Not only remember, but he says, repent. Which just simply means turn around. Now that you've remembered where you were, turn around and go back and do those things. So there's remember, there's repent, and then there's third thing. Return. Remember, repent, return. Return speaks to not only the idea of doing something, but the willful action of doing it. We can remember with our mind. We can even repent with our mind having a change of attitude. But when he says return, it is that idea that we have made a willing decision and we are actually going in that direction. I remember some time not too long ago, I was sitting in a pastor's meeting And I can't remember what was being talked about or what we were praying about, anything of that sort. But I was having an encounter with the Lord. He had his finger upon my my life and he wasn't letting me go. It It was a season in my life where things were extremely busy. They were extremely busy. I was running from one thing to another thing to another thing to another thing. And it seemed like I was just on automatic pilot, just doing the things that, that God had told me to do a long time ago. Maybe doing more than he wanted me to do. But I had this nagging voice, which was the voice of the Holy Spirit. You know how he nags, you know? I always, I often see the Holy Spirit of Holy Spirit, like, uh, you know, who was the guy in Rocky? Remember the guy in Rocky, the first Rocky, his trainer. What was that? What was the guy's name? Nick. Remember Nick? Come on, get up, Rocky. Come on, get up. So sometimes I see the Holy Spirit like that. And that's what he was doing. He wasn't letting me go. 
I was busy and I was, I was doing all sorts of other things. And life was complicated, frankly. It wasn't the sort of thing where I could just stop doing this or stop doing that or stop doing this. There were things that were already set in motion that now needed to be managed. I just, couldn't, I just couldn't give up on these things. And in this pastor's meeting, the Lord puts his finger on me and says, when are you going to make the decision? I mean, he had been speaking to me about this for months, months. And finally just asking, when are you going to make the decision? When are you going to make the decision? Jesus asks us to remember, to repent, and to return. We can only find happiness when we put Christ first. Secondly, we can only find happiness when we are content with what God has given us. Things don't satisfy. Solomon is saying it's better to have a, a a little enjoyment than dream about things down the road. Look at this verse with me. Speaking of being content. Uh, chapter 2, verses 24 and 25, it says this. There's nothing better for a man than to eat and drink and tell himself that his labor is good. This also I have seen that it is from the hand of God. And 25, for who can eat and who can have enjoyment without him? For who can eat and who can have enjoyment without him? Paul says to Timothy, he says this. In fact, I'm going to turn there in my Bible. He says to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6.17. He says this. 6.7. Uh, 6.7. Six, seven. Six, seven. For we have brought nothing into, for we have brought nothing into the world, so we cannot take anything out of it either. If we have food and covering, with these we shall be content. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation, a snare, and many foolish and harmful devices, which plunge men into ruin and destruction. Now look at this verse a second with me. Paul is saying to Timothy this. If we have food and covering, with these things we should be content. If we have food and clothing and shelter, with these things we should be content. Now I wonder, don't raise your hand or say anything, but I wonder how many of us are content with just those things. I can tell by the looks on your faces, not too many. But Jesus says this. He says, these are the things that we should be content with. This should be the level of our contentment. Anything above that, I mean, that's just gravy. Anything above that, you got more than that, then that's just gravy. That's just the blessing of the Lord. So what we should be content with is just food. We got food. We got covering. Thank you, Lord, for that. And all these other things that you have added on. But he gives a warning for those, which I think is probably just about every one of us. He gives a warning for those that, that aren't completely content with just those things. And he says this, 
But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires. So he says this, those who want to get rich, if you're not, if you're not content, the contrast for Paul is this. If you're not content with that, then you want to get rich. That's the contrast. So if you're not content with that, this is what that can lead to. Harmful snares. And he ends with saying, and a disastrous end. You see, if we're pursuing Jesus and we're just using the things that he gives us, then we got it down. But if we're pursuing riches, we're going to end up losing the relationship with Jesus that we always wanted. The Bible says, if I said, as I said twice before now, seek first the kingdom of God, and then all these other things will be added to you as well. He calls us to contentment for another number of reasons, but I would say here's the number one reason. Here's the num- number one reason. Someone once said, the richest man in the room or let me say it this way, the richest person in the room is the one who is content with what he has. You see, contentment is a blessing from the Lord. To be content with the things God has has given us, that is the best place to be. If we could add to that, just trusting in his sovereignty over our lives, just him being in control. The Bible tells us that riches and honor come from the Lord. If we can just trust him at the level that he's blessed us and we can just be content with those, we would be the most satisfied of all people. We would be the happiest of all people. So this is what I'm saying. Sometimes in our lives, the things God gives us can take control. And it can lead us down a path that we really don't want to go. Solomon tried that, and he failed. But in failing, he encouraged us to do this. Fear God. Put him first in everything. Whatever you're doing, make sure that God is first. Pursue him, and then you'll always have him. Your your business will fail. Your work will fail. Your family will fail. All these things may fail, but you will always have him. Be content with that which which he's given. And then finally, trust his sovereign control in your life. That he is blessing you to the degree that he desires. Be content with the things God's given. Far beyond food and covering. Far beyond food and covering. Let's stand together to our feet this morning. If you'll just close your eyes and shut yourself in with the Lord. The worship team's coming to lead us in a song. Just close your eyes, shut yourself in with the Lord this morning. You might be here this morning and you've never made a decision to follow Jesus. You've never made that decision to put him number one in your life. You've enjoyed coming to church here. You've enjoyed hanging around the cross. You love Christians, but you've never made the decision to make him number one in your life. And this is where it's left you. It's left you with emptiness. You've tried hard, but, but, but there's just this emptiness and this meaninglessness in your life.
This is where it begins, by putting him first in your life, taking yourself off the throne and putting him first. If you'd like to make that decision today, I'm going to pray in just a moment, and you just pray along with me when we pray. Secondly, as your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed and you're shutting with the Lord this morning, you're here and you know what the rat race is like. You know what it's like to to struggle and to work and uh, to come home tired at night and to get up the next morning and start it over and over and over and over again. And you are at the point where you're just saying with Solomon, meaningless, meaningless. This is emptiness. And you're wanting to put Jesus first once again. You're wanting to put him back on his throne. You're wanting to become content with exactly where God has you and with the things that he's given you. I'd like to pray for you as well. I'm going to lead us in a general prayer right now. After the service, there'll be people up here to pray with you. If you're making a decision to follow Christ for the very first time today, I want to pray for you right down here at the front. I'll be down there in just a moment. If there's any other need that you have this morning, there'll be teams up here to pray with you. You can come up and pray with one of them as well. If you're wanting to make Jesus number one, you're wanting to return or remember, repent and return, I want to pray with you as well. And so just meet me down here at the front in front of the communion table. Let's pray together. Lord, for those that are coming to you for the very first time this morning, those that are asking that their sins would be washed away and their sinfulness would be covered, for those that are longing for eternal life, Lord, we're praying that you would send your Holy Spirit this morning. We're praying that that faith would be ignited in their hearts and they would not only choose you in this moment, but that you would affirm your choice of them, that you would wrap your arms around them, Lord, in this moment as they're saying, I want you, Lord. Let it be even now in Jesus' name. And Lord, for those that have come into this place today, and they have just been run over in the rat race. They've, they've tried their hardest to find purpose and meaning in this life, but it's turned out to be empty. And today they want to make a fresh commitment to make you number one. They want to make a fresh commitment to be content with the things that you have given them. And they want to make a fresh commitment to trust you in your sovereignty Let it be so. Let it be so, even now, Lord. Let him receive from your spirit, even now, Lord. And we're going to give you thanks for it. And we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, guys, that's all I got. If you want to stay and pray, please do that. If you have to go, certainly understand. As I said, there'll be people up here to pray. Feel free to come forward if you like.